The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Folks, if you'd like to turn with me, please, to uh, your Bibles, and particularly to the first letter of Thessalonians. You'll find First Thessalonians to uh, you know towards the uh, latter part of the New Testament, and we're going to be reading today from First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen, right through to chapter five and verse eleven. If you don't have a uh, Bible or electronic device to, uh, to read on, you can look, uh, follow along on the screens. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Well, as Grant said, we're going to commence a a new preaching series uh, this morning, a short four-part series uh, uh, entitled Summer Theology. And uh, for this series, we're going to be looking particularly uh, in broad terms at what the Bible has to say about end times. Uh, We're going to be dealing with the, uh, the second coming of Christ, the final judgment of God, 
and the new heavens and the new earth. These are the things we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. As I said, in broad terms, because we could uh, be looking at this in depth for probably most of the year and still not get to, uh, you know, to really uh, look at it in, uh, in detail. You know, we've just celebrated Christmas, haven't we? Everyone have a good, had, a good, had a good Christmas? Yes? Lovely Christmas? Tremendous. You know, Christmas, is, as we've been reminded you know, over the past several weeks, is that time where Christians remember and celebrate the birth of Christ. The one who came as God's promised saviour to bring the, the, the light of God's truth into a world overwhelmed by darkness, sin and evil. And to rescue people from its grasp. That's what Jesus came to do. And of course he accomplished this great work of salvation through his life, death, resurrection and ascension. And we're told from the scriptures that all who put their faith and trust in Christ as Saviour and Lord are given a wonderful and blessed hope that they are now God's beloved children, his treasured possession. But the Bible also teaches that Jesus is going to return at some point in the future where he will judge the living and the dead. He came initially as into the world as saviour, what we celebrate at Christmas, but he will come again as king and judge. And at that point he will indeed judge all the living and the dead. And all who have rejected him and his offer of salvation, we are told from the scriptures that these people will be cast into outer darkness where they will suffer for all eternity. But all who put their faith and trust in Jesus will live forever with him in his eternal, glorious kingdom. A kingdom which we're told where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sin, no more sadness, no more death. But instead there will be everlasting joy and fullness of life. That is the message of the scriptures in a nutshell. That's all what it's, this is what God initially planned right at the very beginning when he first created man in his image. Right the way through to the end, this is God's whole purpose to eventually redeem a people for himself that they may be with him forever, enjoying his presence and bringing glory and honour to his name. It's this future return of Christ that Christians are now waiting for and which throughout church history much discussion and debate has raged about the various aspects surrounding it. Of course, a lot of that debate rages around uh, what, what's referred to as uh, the, uh, the, the millennium, the millennial reign of Christ, which is spoken about in Revelation chapter 20. And mostly this debate centres around you know, the, the relationship of Christ's return to his millennial reign, which is spoken about in that passage. You know, the debate rages around, you know, the sequence of events and how they fit together. You know, the, the revealing of, of what's referred to as the Antichrist, uh, the great tribulation that the Bible speaks about, and, and also around the destiny of the nation of Israel. There are lots of things that are all involved in this particular, uh, you know, return. But the, 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 uh, the thing we're going to sort of really focus on today, though, and what we're going to focus on over the next few weeks, is not the stuff that people debate about. Okay, because we can get ourselves all tied up in a lot of knots about the things which people, you know, have different ideas about. But what we're going to focus on especially is what the Bible is very clear about in its uh, 
teaching about the return of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be going to be focusing on today. So if you came hoping that we're going to be dealing with things like the amillennial and premillennial and postmillennial and that sort of stuff, and about you know how it all sort of fits together in this nice little neat package, you might go away a bit disappointed today. Right? But what we are going to be looking about is the uh, the sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the things which the Bible are very or is very, very clear about regarding his second coming. Over the next few weeks then, what we're going to be doing after dealing today with Christ's second coming, next week, uh, Pastor Isaac will be looking at the final judgment. Uh, The week after that, uh, we will be looking at the glory of heaven. And finally, uh, the last in the series will be the trustworthiness of God's word and his promises relating to his future events. So that's kind of like a bit of a nutshell of where we're going over the next few weeks, so that you've got a bit of an idea. Now, one thing we, we need to be very, very sure about is this, that the Bible is crystal clear, crystal clear on the fact that one day in the future, Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to return to the earth, as I said, as king and judge. The Bible is very explicit about that fact. In fact, Jesus himself spoke about his return. One of the passages that we find that is in Matthew 24, Verses 29 to 31. Just let me read these uh, few verses to you. Jesus' words to his disciples, the teaching that he gave them before his death. Jesus writes, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus made it very, very clear to his disciples that he was going to come and that this would be a cosmic event that everyone would be very much aware of, that everyone would see. Again, in Matthew 26, Jesus uh, repeats a part of those words where he's before Caiaphas, the high priest, at his trial before he's crucified, and he says to the high priest, but I tell you, From now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus was very clear that he was going to come again, this time in a powerful and glorious and mighty display where he would set everything right, where he would would put every injustice right in our world. Speaking to his disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 14, He assures them, he comforts them. When he says that he's going away, he says these words, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be. Jesus is assuring his disciples that even though he's going away, speaking of his death, his resurrection and his ascension, he assures them that he will come one day and they will be with him forever. In Revelation chapter 22, right at the end of the Bible, Jesus' words are given to us again where he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning 
and the end. Jesus was very clear himself about the fact that he was coming again. In the New Testament, we also have the testimony of angels. There at Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, the angels say these words to the disciples. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Again, the New Testament writers look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 where it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And the, uh, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3 and verse 10 writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Peter talking about the fact that when Christ comes again, he will bring everything to light and he will judge it according to his righteousness and holiness. And in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, the Apostle John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that is Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The Apostle John, speaking about when Christ returns, that we will receive this glorious resurrected body, the same as Christ has, has received his resurrected body, we, won't, you know, we, we will be transported into his presence and then with that, with him, along with him, then taken into his glorious eternal kingdom. As we can see throughout scripture, there are time and time again where we see that Christ is going to return. The truth and reality is that very fact. Christ is coming again. The passage we're looking at this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through to chapter 5, 11, really speaks of uh, you know, some of the, the detail of, of Christ when he returns, One of the, some of the things that will happen when he comes in his glory. And there are three things that I want to highlight to us this morning, three truths that I want to draw to our attention about Christ's return. And the three things are this. Christ's return gives us hope in death. Christ's return gives us encouragement in life. And the knowledge of Christ's return should cause us to live in a specific way. They're the three points we're going to be looking at this morning in light of Christ's return. And the first is Christ's return gives us hope in death. You know, here in this particular passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is seeking to address a specific concern that the, Th the Thessalonian believers had. And that is that what would happen to those Christians who had already died when Christ does return in his glory. This was a, this was a big thing for the Thessalonian believers because you know, in, in their day they had anticipated Christ's return fairly soon you know, uh, after he ascended back into heaven. They expected that Christ was going to come very, very soon, that it was almost an, an, imminent, uh, an imminent return that they were expecting of Christ. But, of course, as time progressed, Christ hadn't come back and some of those believers had died. 
They had passed away. As Paul refers to here, they had actually fallen asleep in the Lord. That's what Paul refers to here as, as, as believers who have died in Christ, those who have fallen asleep. And for the Thessalonian believers, they were wondering whether or not these believers then who had died would actually miss out on being a part of Christ's triumphant return to earth. And so Paul begins by telling them that he wants them to be rightly informed about the Christian understanding of death and that this leads to not grieving in the same way as those who have no hope grieving the unbelievers. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as others do, those who do not know Jesus. Now, I've, con- I've conducted, I don't know, probably well over 100 funerals uh, in my time as a pastor. And the most difficult funerals are always those for people who have not demonstrated a true Christian conversion. Because when it comes to conducting services like that, folks, there is no hope that can be offered to those who are left behind. There is no realistic and honest hope that can be offered to those who are left. We cannot affirm that that person is now enjoying the blessings of heaven. In fact, the only comfort in those situations are the memories that these people have of the person who has died and of their days here on earth. But that's it. For them, for anyone who dies outside of Christ, there is no hope beyond the grave. Death has had the final say and only judgment awaits. That is the teaching of Scripture. Yet Paul says, for the believer who has died, he confidently asserts that when Christ returns, they will proceed those who are still living in meeting Christ in the air. Verse 16 and 17 says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Okay, so from the Lord himself, Paul writes, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We will not precede. The image here that's, that Paul's speaking about is of a, of a king, an important, go- or an important government official, if you like, who would, uh, would come to visit a town. This is a kind of the, uh, the, the, the first century kind of understanding of, of, of people uh, in Paul's, you know, in what Paul is writing to here. This is what often happened. When a king would come and visit a town, when they would come and visit a city, what would happen is that the, the elders or the important people of that city would go out to meet that king or that, that important official and escort them into town. There would be a wonderful procession or parade, if you like, into the city where there would be lots of, of celebrating and lots of, uh, lots of joy and, and, uh, and lots, of, uh, you know, lots of people cheering as the, as the king and, this, and his entourage entered into the, uh, the town. Well, Jesus is, what Paul is referring to here in terms, of, in terms of Jesus' second coming is that as he comes as king, all his children, those who, are both, who have both died previously and those who are still alive, they will actually be caught up together in the air 
to meet with Jesus and then escort Jesus in this wonderful, glorious procession back to earth. And the basis of Paul's confidence is seen in verse 14 of our passage. He writes, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, this Christian hope of Christ's return and us meeting him in the air is all founded solely on the fact that Jesus himself has already come and defeated sin and death by his own death and resurrection. And because he has risen, we too will rise again. We too will experience our own resurrection when he comes in his glory. Paul speaks about this in his letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to Corinthians in chapter 15, where he writes in verses 20 to 24, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. See, is it, is, is, is it Christ's second coming that we will receive our own resurrection bodies, spiritual bodies especially suited for living in Christ's eternal kingdom. That is what we look forward to. Now the question might arise in our minds, and well then what happens to the person, to the Christian who dies now, what happens to them between, between the, time, the point of their death and Jesus coming again? Well, there have been many theories proposed, but I believe that, again, Scripture is very clear that we will indeed have a consciousness and that we will be with Jesus. Okay, so we will be with Jesus. We will have, uh, we will have a, a definite consciousness about that, but we will not yet have our resurrected bodies. It's what uh, some theologians call the intermediate state. And the reason I have such confidence is passages such as uh, Jesus' words himself to the thief on the cross. Remember when Jesus was being crucified, he had uh, two thieves crucified, one on either side of him. And uh, they started off by hurling insults at Jesus, but then one of them sort of started to realize, hang on a minute, maybe Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And he starts actually having a go at the, the other thief who's still heaping insults on Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. It's almost like this, there's, a, there's a, a genuine repentance of this thief there on the cross. And Jesus' comforting words to, his, to that thief is this, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me. There will be a knowledge that he will have, that he will be with Jesus. Paul asserts in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 8, that there indeed will be, that we will be, have a consciousness with Christ where he says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul is speaking about the fact that, you know, I would rather be right now at home with Christ. He says, 
you know, for to me, uh, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. How could Paul say that it would be to die is gain if there would be a, a period of, of just absolute unconsciousness where he, wouldn't, you know, where he wouldn't have that knowledge of being with Christ? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul could not say it would be far better if he, was, if he knew that when he died, there would be this, this sense of unconsciousness for, for who knows how long. And of course, in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, this is, uh, this is going on prior to Jesus' return, uh, his, sec- his second coming. We read these words about the people of God. It says, they, that is the saints who have already died, cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There's this, particularly these saints who have been persecuted for their faith. They're there in heaven you know, with Jesus and they're crying out with their voices, Lord, how long before you will bring your judgment upon the earth? Scripture is very, very clear that we will have a, indeed a consciousness of being with Christ when we die. Folks, the Christian's blessed hope is that when our earthly life ends in death, we will be with Jesus in glory and with him await that tremendous day where we will escort him back to earth in his triumphant and glorious second coming to rule and reign with him forever. No wonder Paul says that we are to encourage each other with these words. too excited. One thing quickly before I move on. I know there are many who are sitting here today who have already lost loved ones in the Lord. And that still has a deep impact on you and your life. You know it. You know the encouraging thing that we can take away from this is that you know, Paul says, I want you to encourage one another with these words. And the way that he sort of, the encouragement there that I see is that Paul is specifically speaking to the Thessalonian believers who have in mind those loved ones who have already departed, who have already left this earth and have gone to be with Christ. And he's saying, I want to encourage you because there's going to come a day where you will see them again, where you will join with them, with Jesus in the air. And together with them, those loved ones who have already departed to be with Christ, you will come with them, you will join with them in this glorious, triumphant procession of Christ back to earth. Amen. Amen. Christ's return gives us hope in death. The next two points are fairly quick, okay? So we can have as many as we like this morning. Christ's return gives us encouragement in life. You know, the one thing this passage makes clear for believers is that our future is totally secure in Jesus. Paul reminds us in Romans 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. We know that our world can be a very scary place. 
If 2020 has shown us anything, it's shown us that our lives can be turned upside down in an instant. And the things that many people put their hope and security in in this life can be taken away almost overnight. Death itself can come without warning. But for the person who has come to Jesus Christ, who has repented of their sin, who has believed in him as Saviour and Lord, they have the full assurance of knowing that they are forever in his safe keeping. Folks, we need not fear anything in this world. We need not fear coronavirus. Yes, we take proper precautions to protect ourselves and others, but we need as believers to remember that it should not, things like this, should not keep us from living our lives faithfully for Jesus Christ. It should not hold us in a state of fear and anxiety. Nor should anything else in this world. It need not keep us like that because we know to whom we belong to, don't we? Our trust needs to be firmly in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Paul reminds his readers that we as followers of Jesus, we as his treasured children are not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that whether we are alive or physically dead, whether we are awake or asleep, we live with him now. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5 speaks about um, you know, Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Folks, right now, right this minute, as children of God, we are living with Christ. Christ is with us. We are joined with him and to his life. He never leaves us or forsakes us. The old enemy wants to get in our ears and, 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 and try and make us think that, you know, the, 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 that God has, has written us off because of our many sins and our many failings and that sort of thing. Or he wants to get in our ear and tell us, you know, we'll never measure up to God and so God's just abandoned you. You know, look at all the, the bad things that are happening in your life. Surely that's a sign that tells you that God no longer has any time for you, that he's written you off. That's what the enemy will tell you time and time and time again. But doesn't he? And yet Christ reminds us that we are always with him. He never leaves us or forsakes us. I'm reading a tremendously marvelous book at the moment. It's a, it's a book at the moment that's right at the top of the, uh, the Christian bestseller list. It's called Gentle and Lowly, written by a guy called Dane Ortland. Folks, if there's one thing you do this year, Will you get a copy of that book and read it for yourselves? It is marvellous. It speaks about the heart of Christ for his children. And it is absolutely breathtaking in its application of the love of Christ for believers. Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. You can get it from Kurong, I think about 20... Uh, 23 or $24, I think they're out of stock at the moment, or you can go to Reformers Bookshop in Sydney. No, I'm not getting any uh, you know, kickback or anything from this. $24.99 online, uh, postage as well. Okay, they'll send it to you in a matter of a couple of days. 
Or if you've got a Kindle ready, you can go out to Amazon Kindle and download it there for about $15. Grab that book and read it for yourself. Now, Paul reminds believers of these truths because he wants to encourage us in our walks with Christ in the here and now. Twice in this passage he says, encourage one another with these words. Folks, if you want to be encouraged in your Christian life, then look to the truths about Jesus and his coming again for his people. Finally, the knowledge of Christ's return should cause us to live in a specific way. See, when Christ returns, we're told here in this passage, it will occur unexpectedly. Paul says it will come like a thief in the night. And over the years, there have been many attempts to try to discern when Christ will come. And, and dates have been you know, put down and recorded right the way through human history about when Christ is return, will return. And not yet has anyone got it right, and not, nor will anyone ever get it right. So when someone, if you hear or read someone says to you that Christ is going to return at this specific time, you can go back to, to the scriptures automatically and say, no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. Only the Father. But he will return and when he comes, it will, he will come unexpectedly. And so in light of this, we are told that we need to be ready for his coming at any moment. And of course, being ready means that we need first and foremost to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We need to have that confident knowledge that our sins have been paid for, that we have received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for our sins, and that we are secure in our relationship with him. We do that through repentance, our acknowledgement of our need for Jesus as Saviour, and our submission to him as Lord and Christ. To deny Christ in the Bible's teaching about him, to live in a way that ignores him and is focused purely on this world, is, according to Paul, to walk around in darkness, being spiritually asleep, if you like, oblivious, to the reality of God and the peril that you face. Paul says here there will be those who will be saying peace and security. Those who are living as though you know, that, that everything's fine and dandy, they've got nothing to be worried about. But Paul says it's when the people are saying these exact things that Christ's return will come and sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains who, that come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Christ's coming will result or usher in destruction for those who have not acknowledged and submitted to him as Saviour and Lord. And for the Christian, we too need to live in a way that reflects our being joined together with Christ. Paul speaks here in this passage that we are in chapter 5 and verse 6, to keep awake and be sober. In other words, it means that we do not allow ourselves to be captivated by any type of influence that would lead us away from Christ and from a proper 
understanding of him and his ways and also that will lead us away from living in the paths of righteousness that he calls us to live as his followers. Paul says that we're to have on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. Reminder here of the spiritual armor that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 6. Because we're in this spiritual battle, Paul says you need to make sure that you're living as children of faith. Faith in the knowledge that Christ is coming in, but also faith in that we are true to him and his word. And the essence of that is living lives of love. And to have that knowledge, that knowledge of, of salvation in our minds. You know, if Christ returned at this moment, would he find you living in a way that honours him as a follower of Christ? Would you be comfortable in him seeing your internet history? Would you be comfortable in showing him your social media posts or the things that you have liked on social media? Would you be comfortable in him seeing the example that you're setting to your children or to your neighbours or to your work colleagues? What would he see by examining your bank account, what you spend your money on? Are you exhibiting his love for one another in your life? Are you demonstrating faith in him? Would he be pleased? by what he sees. Of course, it's not what we do that earns salvation, that earns us brownie points with God and results in him granting us favour. Yeah, that's not the case at all. Because he bestows his favour on us purely because of his grace and mercy and love. But the fact is, if we truly belong to Jesus Christ and are trusting in him and are seeking to worship him and love him, that we're eagerly awaiting his return, then folks, that should translate into the way in which we live our lives day by day, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? Of course it should. The knowledge of Christ's return should help us to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on the eternal. Because, folks, this life is not all there is. Jesus wants us to have his priorities in this life, not our own priorities. We should never, as followers of Jesus, feel at home in this world. We should not not be looking to the things of this world for our comfort, for our peace, for our security, and for our joy and happiness. Yes, there are moments that God blesses us where we experience all of these things in this life. But we should not be looking to this life for all of it, to, to have all of these things for ourselves. Because as Christians, we are just strangers passing through. We should be longing like Abraham for that celestial city whose architect and builder is God that we read about in Hebrews looking forward to that day when we will be ushered into the very presence of Christ. But in the meantime, living lives that honour him, that point others to his loving kindness and of telling others of their need to be reconciled to Christ. That's what we're meant to be about, folks, as his people. 
The Bible closes with these words of Jesus. He says, surely, for certain, I am coming soon. To which the people of God should respond, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for the wonderful hope that we have in Christ of knowing that one day we will be with him forever and ever. We look forward to that day. In the meantime, Lord, we pray that as we live our lives here on this earth, on this earth, that you would help us to live in a way that pleases you, which honours you, which brings glory to you, which exalts you in the eyes of others. That we would indeed be your witnesses to all of the surrounding areas that we go of your truth, of your reality, of the salvation that is found only in Jesus and of the glorious hope that they can too have when Jesus will come again. Father, help us to be diligent in this, we pray. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.